There's a, a wonderful story from the early years of the church. It's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles about when the Apostle Paul uh, went to Athens to preach the gospel. So Paul would always start in the synagogue uh, trying to convince them that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and then he would go to uh, public areas to preach to the Gentiles, those who did not yet know the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Jesus. And in Athens, he met Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in the marketplace. Um, and the author of Acts tells us that although these non-believing philosophers were not at all sure what to make of Paul, they were still intrigued by him. And so they brought him to what was called the Areopagus, uh, which is where the local government met. It's also where people gathered uh, to discuss important ideas in public, this public conversation. And at the Areopagus, Paul did something brilliant, something inspired, something that has become a model for future preachers to follow. He said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way, for as I went through the city and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found among them one with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. You see, uh, Paul was, had, had the practice, he was in the habit of uh, meeting people where they were, using what they knew or thought they knew, in order to proclaim to them what they did not yet know. In other words, uh, this is an example of Paul using cultural references to introduce newcomers to the gospel, which uh, means that finding God in what we might call today, popular culture, has been part of the church's practice at least as far back as the 17th chapter of Acts. Preachers connect the gospel to culture through movies and through books and through TV shows and through Broadway productions. Over the years, I've preached sermon series on all of these subjects and more because the church uh, has always believed that we can find God everywhere, even in unexpected places. Our new sermon series is in this tradition. We're calling it uh, Top of the Charts. And throughout these four weeks, we'll be looking for God in our favorite popular music. I still very much remember the first concert I ever attended, the very first concert I ever attended. It was with my dad. It was either the late 70s or the early 80s. Um, we went to see Ronnie Millsap. Anybody remember Ronnie Millsap? Over the years since, uh, I've been blessed to have attended lots of concerts and seen some really incredible artists. Uh, not a few years after that, a, a buddy of mine stood in line for hours, back when you had to do that kind of thing, to get tickets for the Jackson's Victory Tour in 1984. This was like peak Michael Jackson. He had just come off the Thriller album. Uh, it was a cultural moment. That was a, that was a historic concert. It was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, Prince was my favorite artist growing up. I got to see him four times over the years, twice on the Purple Rain Tour in 1984. 1984 was a very good year for concerts for me. And then a very different experience 20 years later when my wife Whitney and I saw him in 2004. Uh, that crowd was pretty much exclusively middle-aged professionals who could afford the tickets. <laughs> it was a very tame crowd. Um, and that turned out to actually be his last concert in Dallas. She and I had a chance to see uh, Willie Nelson a couple of times at Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. Uh, both times he and his band outlasted us. I mean. If you've ever seen Willie, he sings Whiskey River like 15 times. At both times, we got tired and left before his band was done playing, and that is kind of embarrassing because Willie just turned 89 years old on Friday. 
But the band that I've seen more than any other is, not surprisingly, my favorite band, U2. I discovered them when I was in high school. I really got into their music in college, but it wasn't until I got out of the Navy that I had the chance to see them in concert for the first time. It was May 12, 1997, their Pop Mart tour came to Dallas. Uh, that was really the first time that I, that I truly felt the Holy Spirit moving me in a concert as uh, 40,000 friends and I sang along to these songs that include you know, a fair amount of spirituality, a fair amount of gospel. I left the concert that night totally captivated by this band that I had been listening to for a decade by that point, but uh, that spoke to me in a new way when I heard them live. Now, I'm willing to bet that all of us here have had those moments in our lives when music spoke deeply to our souls, and I'm willing to bet that many, perhaps most of us, have those artists in particular uh, who move us spiritually, sometimes overtly, sometimes more subtly. For me, that's absolutely you too. Since that Pop Mart tour uh, over 25 years ago, over the past 25 years, I have not missed a U2 concert that's come to Dallas. I've had the chance to see them at the Cotton Bowl and at Reun Reunion Arena, old Reunion Arena, the American Airlines Center, uh, a couple times at the Cowboys AT&T Stadium. I actually drove to Tulsa for the most recent concert tour because they didn't come to Dallas. They did not ask me about that, but they didn't come to Dallas, so I drove to Tulsa for it. Because going to a U2 concert uh, is, for me, truly like going to church. Now, if you too is not your cup of tea, no worries. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking about uh, Stephanie Gretzinger. That may not be a, a name that you recognize. She's a Christian artist, though, and she's got a beautiful song we're going to hear next week. I'll be talking about Johnny Cash and Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran. In modern worship, Reverend Stephanie Reed Meyer is going to be talking about Leon Bridges today, uh, the Beatles, that little band that some of you have heard of. Uh, the Highway, The High Women? This is like a band of your friends, has to be. I've never heard of them. <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, and she's also going to talk about Beyonce, uh, who is a Methodist, by the way. But for now, we're going to turn to our scripture for today. Uh, we're reading from the eighth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. This is a, a terrific story. Listen, friends, for the word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Acts. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from, the, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you were reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. 
And starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the, an apostle named Philip uh, meets an official of the royal court of the Ethiopians. This stranger is clearly a spiritual seeker, but he's puzzled by the scriptures. And so Philip interprets a passage from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah telling him about Jesus. And this Ethiopian royal official is so captivated by what he's heard that he's baptized into the faith right then and there. And then, uh, incredibly, Philip disappears before his very eyes as they go their separate ways. The Ethiopian uh, goes back home rejoicing, and Philip goes to other places to tell other people the good news. Now, there's a whole lot that we could unpack in this story. There's a lot going on. What I want to focus on today is the fact that, and I'm sure you noticed this, God is the primary actor in this passage from start to finish. It's an angel of God who tells Philip to get on the road. It's the Holy Spirit who tells Philip to, to go meet this Ethiopian stranger who had gone to Jerusalem to worship. I don't have any more details about that. The Spirit uh, takes Philip to his next mission field while the Ethiopian takes the gospel back home. God is the primary actor in this story from start to finish. And in our Methodist tradition, uh, this is an example of what we call provenient grace. It's a funny word, but it just means the grace that goes before us, before we even realize it, before we ever make a faith decision to become a follower of Christ. God is already at work in our lives, uh, inviting us into a relationship long before we're aware of God. So through that lens, through that Methodist lens, God was at work in the life of this Ethiopian official long before he was baptized. He didn't know why he was going to Jerusalem to worship. He didn't understand the scripture that he was reading. He just felt this, this yearning to know more. His own spirit was being uh, called by God into a relationship. Philip, for his part, played the role of helping him to see it, to tell him about Jesus, and then to welcome him into the family of faith. Now, chances are uh, there is somebody here today, either in person or online, who is, who is feeling that same sense of spiritual yearning, that instinct that there is uh, something more in life that they're missing. And if you're that person, what we believe through our Methodist lens is that it's God who inspired you to be here today, even if you didn't realize it. We believe that God is inviting you to keep listening. And all the rest of us uh, who are already committed followers of Jesus have a role to play in that. Our job is to be like Philip and like the Apostle Paul, helping welcome newcomers into the faith. That's what we've been charged to do. 
And I, for one, am convinced that a significant way that God calls to us is through the music that we find most meaningful. In November of my freshman year in college, a movie about U2 came out called uh, Rattle and Hum, hit the theaters in November of that year. It's a documentary about the concert tour for their album, The Joshua Tree, which is the album that had introduced their music to me to begin with, and it includes a song called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And in Rattle and Hum, the band sings that song with a gospel choir at a little church in Harlem, which makes sense because it's a song all about faith. It was the second uh, single released from the album 35 years ago this month. (laughs) I don't know how many of y'all are U2 fans, but that makes me feel a little bit older. It came out 35 years ago. It went on to become... uh, number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and the staff of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who pays attention to these things, selected it as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. It's inspired by blues and gospel music, and it's about about spiritual yearning, uh, about the kind of yearning that that Ethiopian official might have felt when he traveled from home to Jerusalem, clearly searching for something. I was listening to it again on Friday. Um, actually, listened to it on the way to church in, this morning, but on Friday I was listening to it. Uh, the Joshua Tree is the CD current, currently playing in my car. Yes, I have CDs playing in my car. Yes, they're still a thing. And all these years later, uh, there's still a particular part of that song that chokes me up when I sing it. Bono sings, uh, You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, you know I believe it. (laughs) From the day that song was released my junior year in high school, it's a song that's spoken to me. Theologically now, I would say uh, God's Spirit has spoken to me through this song for 35 years. I don't know how many times I heard it uh, in my 20s, (laughs) how many times I belted it out in the car when I was driving down the road, still do, how many times I repeated that powerful title during my own years in the spiritual wilderness. Though I was raised in the church, I wandered through a long stretch of my young adult years. There were plenty of twists and turns. There were some dead ends. There was even a ditch or two. And while I'd never want to relive those years, I am grateful for the searching and for the fact that God didn't give up on me. (laughs) God never gives up on any of us, of course, because God is not in the giving up business. It was my wife, Whitney, who got me to the United Methodist Church, and when it comes to my relationship with God, this is where I found what I'm looking for, a Christian tradition that begins and ends with the grace of God, and that's all about grace all along the way, a tradition that takes seriously our responsibilities to each other, both through service and through justice work. A tradition that that encourages me to think theologically for myself, (laughs) to get clear about what I believe, and by the way, to be just fine if you and I come to different conclusions about important subjects. This has always been a place for me where we can agree to disagree about some important things. A tradition that welcomes everybody And it's crystal clear that we are all beloved children of God. I 
I thank God literally every day that I found what I was looking for here. And I've got a hunch that if you still haven't found what you're looking for, you just may find it here too. And I am convinced with the certainty of my faith in Jesus Christ that until you find what you're looking for, God's going to keep working on you. It's what prevenient grace is all about. St. Augustine was one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. He's one of the greatest theological thinkers in the history of humanity. And he, he once said something that is absolutely my experience of spirituality and religion. He said, our hearts are restless, God, until they rest in you. That was true for me. I wonder if it's true for you. But wherever you are, in your journey of faith. My prayer is that you'll find what you're looking for. Amen.